Hi, and welcome to Ask Wardy. I'm Wardy, a wife and mom of three, lead teacher, blogger, and founder of traditionalcookingschool.com. I'm also the author of The Complete Idiot's Guide to Fermenting Foods. Ask Wardy is the weekly show devoted to answering your niggling questions about traditional cooking. Maybe it's your sourdough starter, your sauerkraut, preserving foods, broth, superfoods, or anything else to do with traditional cooking. You can catch Ask Wardy live each Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, that's 1 p.m. Eastern, or through the podcast and video replays at askwardy.tv. And now, let's get to today's show. All right, so here we go. Let's get into today's questions. Um, and I'm going to be reading it here off my iPad um, just so I get it all correct. The first question is from Rebecca H. She says, Hi, Wardy. I love your sourdough course. I've had such fun making all kinds of your yummy recipes, but I've developed a strange problem with my starter. It sours very fast, developing hooch on top within 12 hours after a feeding. And the starter has morphed into a sticky, melted marshmallow consistency. Like the dough has developed the gluten already. She says it reminds me of a glue monster from a scary movie. <laughs> I love that. All right. Well, the problem with this texture is I can't create, and for some reason my iPad has gone on a really long mile, I can't create pourable batters, pancakes, muffins, since the glop just clings to the spoon or bowl and comes off in strings. It's behaved naughty like this through a few feedings, whether I try to make a thin or thick batter. All right, so, and Rebecca also says, I even started a new star starter, but it quickly morphed into the same sickness again. I don't get it. I made sourdough products for weeks before this started happening. Help, my kitchen's been taken over. <laughs> All right, well, I've got about three tips for you, but first I wanna say that, um, you know, our sourdough starters, they are living cultures of beneficial organisms, yeast and bacteria. And if you have other things culturing in your kitchen, like maybe kombucha or water kefir or um, cheese, sourdough starters can change because we don't see it, but all those organisms are in the air and they're sort of changing homes. So I don't know what else you have going on in the kitchen, but it's possible that the organism balance is changed. It doesn't mean it's bad, just something you gotta be aware of. So if you have something else culturing nearby, like kombucha, for instance, cheese, split it up at least five feet apart, but preferably another room. Um, and just be aware of that. This isn't a reason to toss the starter. <laughs> Kim, moving homes, you bet. They do, they just switch places. Um, so be aware of that. And it's not the end of the world, okay? It's just something to be aware of. And in order to um, you know, get it back to a new normal, maybe it's not gonna go back to its previous normal, but maybe a new normal of being strong and acting better and behaving better because your starter is very naughty. Um, you just TLC, separate it from other cultures, make sure to do its regular feedings and keep it at a good temperature. All right, so that's just a little bit tip about the change it's gone through. And I do have a story with that. I had a starter for years, and then my daughters wanted to learn to make their own sourdough starter, and so they each did. And theirs just went fabulously, and mine took a nosedive because it was in the same room, and the organisms that they were culturing and building got into mine. And my first starter was an acquired starter that I purchased and restarted. So it was actually organisms from somewhere else, from New England, as a matter of fact. It was a New England sourdough starter. And their, their starter was from, 
you know, the native organisms that were present on the wheat berries, or the, it was spelt, the spelt berries that we purchased and ground into flour. Um, and so it wasn't detrimental to anyone, really. Mine just had to change. It had to adjust to the other organisms that were present. And so the yeast and bacteria took a couple weeks, and they, um, they just readjusted. And, you know, I've had that starter for several... I, I've still got that starter, as a matter of fact, and they still have their starters. We combined them. <laughs> Megan says, mine is from one of theirs, I think. I know, I think it is, because we shared that starter with you. Yep. So... Starters change. So you may have new produce in the house, you may have cultures nearby, and your sourdough starter is changing. Um, so here's some, some more things to say. Number one, about the hooch issue. You said all of a sudden it's producing all this hooch after 12, 20, 12 hours. Well, hooch is normal. It's usually produced at the end of the feeding cycle. The hooch is that yellow liquid. It's the acids that the organisms give off after they've eaten all the sugars in the in, that you fed them in the flour, and they'll produce hooch. So it's at the end of the feeding. So if all of a sudden it's producing more sooner, that's a sign that they're, they've gone through their food. So maybe, um, well, first of all, it's nothing to worry about. It's normal. Um, but it goes into my second point, which is possible. Maybe your starter is going through its food more quickly, and that's um, number one causing that more hooch sooner, which isn't a bad thing. Um, so add in another feeding so that it's not getting that far. It also could be, you know, the, the feeding cycle of a sourdough starter, different organisms are active at different times. So if it's running out of food, it could be causing those organisms that are causing the gloppiness to be stronger. So adding in another feeding, a little TLC will bring it back to um, the more normal behavior you were used to. Um, the other thing I want to say um, about that, adding another feeding, if you're already at two feedings a day, you'd want to go to try three. And this, you know, in the summer, I often have to go to three feedings because the warmer the temperature, the faster the starter goes through its food. And you don't want it to perpetually on a regular basis run out of food because then you have more organisms that die and then you have a less strong culture to rise your bread and do all that. Um, if you're at one feeding a day, which I don't recommend, <laughs> go up to two. Um, my final tip is what kind of flour are you using? You didn't mention your question, but older grains like spelt or einkorn are gloppy. They just make a gloppy starter. If it's whole wheat, or rye, those can be gloppy too. I mean, I've seen gloppy in all kinds of flours. Um, and I know you said you're having trouble making that batter, but um, I do most of my work with older grains that have a gloppy starter, like spelt or einkorn. And um, what I find is I proceed with the recipe anyway, and the gloppiness isn't a factor. Um, you mix with other ingredients, you whisk, whatever, um, it works out just fine. So I wouldn't be scared of the gloppiness either. So I hope that helps. Um, that was for Rebecca. And um, I just want to mention for anyone listening, if you'd like to take advantage of a free video or a download of my Make Your Own Starter instructions, go to Trad Cook School. It's the Trad Cook School right behind me, dot com slash starter, and you can access that. It's a free gift for you. All right, so I'm not sure what time it is here. That's the bad thing about <laughs> relying on my phone for a clock and it's it's otherwise occupied talking to you, but I have time for a couple question, couple questions related to Rebecca's um, question. 
So go ahead. And Megan, I just missed yours. It went too fast on the screen. Oh, thank you, Kim and Liz. It's 10-11, so we're doing great. We've been in, in for 11 minutes. Thank you, Christy, too. Um, so when you ask your question, be sure to put your um, name in your comments so I can address you um, by your name instead of your handle. And if you have a question in the future, it might be unrelated. I'm taking questions uh, by tweeting with the hashtag AskWardy, or you can send an email to wardy at askwardy.tv. Does anyone have questions? Megan, I saw yours go by if you want to type that in again. Sorry about that. I'll take a drink, and you all take a drink too. Staying hydrated. It's my constant um, battle, but when I keep up on it, I feel so much better because, you know, we get busy and we forget to take care of ourselves. So Megan says, we only feed our starter two to three times a week. Is that unusual? It's thriving and rice. Um, well, since you're probably doing gluten-free baking, that's okay. But if people are, if it's a sourdough starter is doing gluten-based baking, it needs to be much more powerful. And I found that two feedings a day regularly helps you have a really, really strong starter for that kind of vigorous baking that's required for bread and rising. Those yeasts are doing the rising. So Megan, since you're doing gluten-free baking and yours is thriving, I, I wouldn't say do anything differently. When I do the recommendation of saying, you know, one isn't enough, I'm really talking about needing, you know, your starter to perform for gluten-based breads. Great job, Megan. All right. Okay, so let me move on to Renee's question, and this has to do with um, bone broth. She says, I gave up making beef bone broth because no one will eat it. The sour taste from the vinegar is too strong for my family. I follow the recipe and nourishing traditions and measure it, and I've even tried using less and different types of vinegar. Will I get the benefits of bone broth if I simply leave out the vinegar? Or do you have another tip for improving the taste? I can't use whey due to a dairy allergy. Also, I don't feel safe leaving my crock pot overnight. So can I successfully get the nutrients out of bones with a, um, and I've reached the end of the line, with a one day only cooking? And then she signs off with, thank you so much. I gave up and haven't made broth in a year, but I know we could benefit from it a lot and I wanna try again. All right. Um, so Renee, I think there's two parts to your question. One is the vinegar is too sour, so your family's not eating it. So can you do something different or even skip out the vinegar and then get the benefits of bone broth? And then the second part of your question is um, if you don't want to do a full 24-hour cycle of the bone broth in the crock pot, um, can you do less and still get the benefits? So great questions. I just want to start off by saying traditional cooking is like um, an art. There's science to it, yes, and Megan, who's in here from Eat Beautiful, is like really good at science of traditional cooking. Um, but there's so much about it that's like, it's a continuum. And it's not like if you get to the end, you're there, and that's the only way to do it. But any point along the way, you're increasing the nourishment and healing of the foods that you're preparing and serving your family. So there's between here and here there's such a range where we can be and flourish and get better um, if we have healing issues or just even for general nourishment so i just want to encourage you that if your family if you are faced with a choice with 
making bone broth with vinegar and nobody eats it, or making bone broth without vinegar and people will eat it in your family, choose the one without because I'm sure that in history, you know, bone broth, boiling bones for stock has been done for hundreds, thousands of years. And probably people didn't always have vinegar or know about vinegar. What we know about vinegar now is it helps pull additional nutrients out of the bones. But what if somebody didn't know that and they were making bone broth with the bones in the pot? And it's just such a beautiful process, makes such a wonderful healing food. Yes, it's beneficial. So I just want to encourage you to leave out the vinegar um, so your family will eat it because it's much better that you eat the bone broth without using vinegar than don't have it. Um, at all. Bone broth has gelatin that is so good for our entire bodies. It has minerals that are so good for our entire bodies. When you're sick, there's nothing better than chicken noodle soup, right? And I can tell you it's the broth in the soup that's really good for you, that's healing and nourishing and soothing. Um, so go ahead and skip the vinegar and the bone broth is going to be very nutritious for you. So feel confident about that. Thank you everyone for the great comments you're leaving. I really appreciate it. Um, you asked for other options. Well, I don't. I haven't tried. I'd, I haven't tried a ton of other options because we've been happy with using vinegar in our broth. But I almost wonder if brown rice vinegar is less sour. And I don't know if you've tried brown rice vinegar. That might be an option for you. Another might be balsamic vinegar, like an aged balsamic vinegar, which is actually quite sweet. So that might be an option for you that you could use less or use that and get a um, taste that your family loves. Okay, so your second issue is, is it okay for one day only cooking? Yes, it is. I mean, a couple hours of bone broth is beautifully healing. And actually, as my friend Megan, who's here, she's at Eat Beautiful, um, points out, um, I'm quoting from her blog here. She has a Meg's bone broth um, post on her blog. And the link to that, by the way, is tradcookschool.com slash megbroth if you want to read the whole thing. She says, after two to three hours, you get a very healing high-fat broth. And after 24 hours, you get a different um, profile of broth. And then another 24 hours, you get even more. That's if you're making perpetual broth in the crock pot where you're re-adding water and salt um, and just getting more and more nutrition out of the bones. So at any point along that, when you harvest your broth, you're getting something wonderful. So if you don't feel comfortable for whatever reason having your broth in the crock pot overnight, do it for as long as you do it. And maybe you even add in that additional stage that my friend Megan suggests, which is after two to three hours, harvest that high-fat healing stock and then let it go, you know, add more water let it go to the point where you're comfortable and then harvest it again. And so you'll get a different type of healing broth from both of those stages. Let's see, the comments are moving quickly. Um, does anyone have anything to add there or additional questions related to um, Renee's uh, question about broth? And I do want to remind everyone, if you have an unrelated question or a question I haven't gotten to, you can tweet it to at Trad's Cook School and use the hashtag AskWardy on Twitter, or you can email me, Wardy at AskWardy.tv. And I, they're just moving so fast. So if I missed it, if you just did. Um, okay, so Chris is saying, is stock better than broth for gaps? Okay, I use stock and broth interchangeably. And I know that if you went to like culinary school, they might have a different definition. But for me, stock and broth is bones and water. And preferably you add a little bit of vinegar to help pull more nutrition out of the bones. 
um, and it's that gelatin, mineral-rich liquid that comes from boiling bones. <laughs> so that's how I use it, and it's wonderful for GAPS. GAPS is a gut healing diet, and if people are on GAPS and have, um, you know, very, very sensitive, it might be that the, the broth that's cooked long is too much for them. You need a shorter cooked uh, broth, and there's more information about that if you Google it or if you have the GAPS book. Any other questions about broth? Or I could go back to the sourdough, too, for a few more minutes. Thank you, everyone, for the hearts and being here. I feel so loved and for sharing. Thank you, Gina. You just shared this on Twitter. Um, Lemonade2122 is saying, is broth fat hard in tummies? No. Um, I mean, if somebody has an allergy to a particular type of meat, for instance, they might have an issue with that type of um, meat broth. But no, fat helps everything. Fat is very soothing and nourishing. So I wouldn't say that the fat in broth is hard on, on tummies at all. Broth is, I mean, if you have upset stomachs, broth is one of the best things you can eat. And um, like when we're sick or feel run down or anything, what I like to do, and you know, family members are not always like thrilled about this, but... <laughs> Um, you know, have a cup of salted broth with every meal or a snack. Um, uh, Cam, Cam Shell Sourdough, having technical difficulties and missed the whole thing. I'm sorry about that. I will have the replay up by tomorrow at askwardy.tv or you can check my Twitter at Trad Cook School for the catch replay here soon. Um, Cajun, Texas mom, you guys, please put your first names in your comments. That'll really help me. How do you get past your family's aversions to that? You know what? Um, some people may not get over that, and some people still don't care for it. You know, my family isn't really thrilled about that. But there's so many ways to have broth. I mean, you can use broth instead of water in your sauces or anything you cook. Um, you can... Um, you know, there's gravies, soups, stews, casseroles. You can put it in so many things. At traditionalcookingschool.com, if you go there, since I don't have a link ready for you, you could go to traditionalcookingschool.com and search for eight ways to get that stock in without drinking it straight. And we've got eight ideas for you. Um, Megan is saying bisque. Great. <laughs> and, yep, sneaky. I mean, there's so many ways to get it in. Yes, great Great tip. Cook vegetables, rice, pasta in it sometimes? Yes. I mean, like rice. And in traditional cooking, if you're familiar with traditional cooking, we soak, sprout, or ferment grains to make them more nutritious and digestible. Well, one of the methods for making rice is to soak it overnight. Okay, Donna, I will get to that question. Um, one of the ways is to soak it overnight. And so you do that in acidic water, and that neutralizes anti-nutrients and just makes it more nutritious and digestible for you. So you soak it overnight, then you go to cook it. You could pour off that water and replace with fresh water, or you could replace with broth and cook your rice in broth. And then, oh, the flavor is amazing. You have the benefit of the soaking, and then you have all that yummy flavor and nutrition from the broth. So it's just a wonderful thing to do. Regarding sourdough, Donna had the question of recommending a sourdough starter from Azure Standard. Azure Standard's a great company. I don't know the particulars of the sourdough starter you have in mind, but in general, I'd recommend it. I would not recommend 
an Amish sourdough starter, the kinds that are popular now or were popular like 10 years ago where you do milk and sugar. Not talking about that kind of starter at all. Um, the kind of stout starter that I'd recommend is very basic. It's the one that you just have to feed flour. Um, so it's just the abundant yeasts and bacteria that make up a sourdough starter and all they eat is flour. They don't need milk or sugar. That's the kind I'm talking about. So you can start one spontaneously in your kitchen. You can get it from Cultures for Health, um, Azure Standard. There's even carlsfriends.org. It's an um, heirloom, more than a hundred year old uh, sourdough starter from the Oregon Trail, right here in Oregon where I live. Uh, not here, but Oregon. Um, and Carl has passed away, but he kept up this starter and his friends have a foundation and all you have to do is send in a self-addressed self stamped envelope and they will send you back a piece of his dried starter for free. You just send in your stamp. Of course, donations are welcome. So that's at carlsfriends.org and then, you know, whatever you could afford a couple dollars. Thank you for the love, everyone. I really appreciate it. Okay, well, I'm just going to do a couple housekeeping notes as a recap here. First of all, just to say thank you for coming and thank you for everyone who's checking out the replay later. You have made my first live broadcast of Ask Wardy wonderful. And I was really nervous. Just ask some of my friends. <laughs> so it's just been fantastic. I look forward to it. One more reminder. If you're interested in that free sourdough starter video or instructions, go to tradcookschool.com starter. If you have questions for Ask Wardy, tweet at tradcookschool with the hashtag Ask Wardy or email me, wardy at askwardy.tv. Thanks, everyone. God bless you. See you again in a week. Thanks so much for joining me today. Here's what to do next. Ask Wardy wouldn't be possible without your questions, so please keep them coming. If you're on Twitter, tweet me at TradCookSchool with your question and use the hashtag AskWardy. Or send an email to Wardy at AskWardy.tv. To get the show notes, links mentioned, video replay, or even to catch up on past episodes of Ask Wardy, go to AskWardy.tv. To join the fun of the live video recording, be sure to follow me with the handle at TradCookSchool on the Periscope app or go to periscope.tv slash TradCookSchool. We record live on Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific. That's 1 p.m. Eastern. And finally, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, the Podcasts app, or Stitcher. If you're on a mobile device, just search for Ask Wardy while you're in the app. If you're on a desktop or laptop, go to tradcookschool.com slash awitunes right in your browser. And while you're there, please leave a rating or review. I love to read your comments and your feedback makes it much more likely that others who are interested in traditional cooking will find Ask Wardy too. Thanks so much. God bless you. And I'll see you next week.